Erie. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to this week's episode of Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickville. We had some amazing things going on in the Erie area this week. So much to get to. But before we do, my guys, how we doing? Paul, Rich, Paul, welcome back. Great to be back. Uh, on the radio, maybe not so much Pennsylvania, but <laughs> happy to be here. Yeah, Florida weather it hits a little differently when I you got to wear I was going to say, it was very nice while we were down there. Yeah, yeah. Rich, how's it going? Where are you traveling around the two this weekend? Well, I was uh, telling... Paul, that we were camping this weekend with my troop, and he said, "Say what?" <laughs> and yeah, we. And were, I got a shiver yeah. like immediately. I was like, "Oh, outside camping?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, you know, it was it was a good time. Yeah. So Friday night was absolutely awful. Saturday and Sunday were beautiful. I even got to catch a little bit of the Browns Steelers game uh, on Sunday afternoon. So there you go. See, Love to see it. My version of camping. I went camping this weekend too, but my version of camping and your version of camping is very different. For example, you were tent cold weather camping right probably i'm in a log cabin that my it's like my friend's family's house and it was these guys from college that we got together to for a weekend but like no i mean i slept in a bed with hvac that's what i told rich i was like i like the outdoors (laughs) but i prefer a mattress i'm more of a glamper yeah yeah. and as i get older yeah the less and less i desire to sleep in a tent Anyway, enough about us. Let's talk about what happened on the North Shore this weekend. McDowell takes down the Little Lions. Cambridge Springs brings the D10 single-A title back to Erie County. And Cathedral Prep Boys soccer team takes home the state championship. Let's get into the North Shore Rewind. (laughs) Welcome to the North Shore Rewind, brought to you by Duskus Funeral Home. Paul, let's start with McDowell. They beat State College, which hasn't been done a lot over the last decade. No. 47-20. So this game had all kinds of stuff going on, right? I mean, it was a great one. You had McDowell getting getting, getting to finally beat the Little Lions. Uh, you know, District 10 champs McDowell with an impressive 8-4 record finally gives the upper hand at Gus Anderson Field. A lot to talk about in this one. Oh, I love it. District 10 6A champ continued onward in their quest for a state football championship Friday with a walloping of the District 6 champ, the State College Little Lions. Uh, just a bit of an aside. That's like the most demeaning name. I do <laughs> Anyway, anyway. It's supposed to be this honorable thing, right? I get Penn it, but state, it's just, Lions, it makes like, me chuckle every year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, the Trojans amassed an incredible 536 yards of total offense wow. in front of their home crowd. Yeah. 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 It wasn't like a little dominance. It was quite a bit of dominance between the tackles. Uh, State College had reeled off six straight, by the way, eight of their last nine against McDowell, including a triple OT thriller just a year ago that sent the Trojans packing in the PIAA playoffs. This time around, McDowell rushed for 351 yards, including a game-high 229 and three touchdowns by Don Baraducci on 28 carries. Stefan Baby Porter had 13 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. And friend of the show, junior quarterback Blaze Myers carried it seven times, 55 yards and two scores while also completing 13 of 17 passes for 185 yards. They'll get North Allegheny who toppled Pittsburgh Central Catholic 44-41 this week. Uh, That date and time to be set sometime today. So we can fix that in post, but that'll be figured out at some point today. (laughs) There was... They played North Allegheny this year already, didn't they? They did, and they got beat pretty good. I think it was week three, um, but even Blaze told us. Like, sort of the stats bear it out, and Blaze said... In in not so many words, they're a different team now than they were in the first couple of weeks of the season. They were still getting healthy. They were yeah. still learning to play together as a team. They have really taken off since beating Prep in week six or seven, something like that. Yeah, they score on all but one 
offensive possession. Yeah. Like talk about coming in angry with this game, right? I love speaking of 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 Blaze Myers, he says to Jeff Uvino, quote, We were just physically dominant throughout the whole game. Our line played amazing. Our running backs ran as hard as they could, and I'm just super proud of all of them. They had a uh, end quote. They had a tough week of practice. They knew what they were coming in for, and they came out and just executed. I mean, there's no way you can look at that. 350 yards basically off of inside zone. I mean, that's just your guys being better than their guys, pushing them backwards. Yeah, let's hope we can get some uh, revenge against N.A. Let's see it. Unfortunately, Mercy Rule Prep did not keep the mercy rule going they fall to Farrell 16-9 on Saturday Farrell maintained its dominance with that narrow victory securing its eighth consecutive D10 crown yeah crazy in a game featuring one of PA's premier small school programs in Farrell and then one of the state's highest scoring teams in Mercyhurst a lot of folks thought fireworks were on the docket but lo and behold it was the defenses that made their presence known in the early goings the first 10 possessions were all scoreless like a complete opposite of the McDowell game all scoreless in fact it was a one yard run with eight seconds to play in the first half when we saw the first points by either side so Farrell took an eight nothing lead into the half remember Mercyhurst came into Saturday averaging better than 60 points per game scoreless through two quarters third quarter scoreless as well Mercyhurst forced a safety in the early fourth but a second Farrell touchdown pretty much proved to be too much as a late Paul Johnson touchdown brought the Lakers within a possession uh, but that would prove to be the closest they get Farrell's defense held as the Lakers' last-ditch fourth-down attempt came up short. Heck of a year will uh, unfortunately come to an end, but the Lakers return a ton of talent in 2024. Um, And then on the other side, Farrell will meet up with Westinghouse uh, this upcoming weekend in the AA playoffs. It's crazy to me that you go from averaging 60 points a game and coming in and only scoring nine points. And I don't know if that's a... I think at that point it's not a it's not a Mercyhurst prep execution. It's Farrell grinding the tape, seeing what they do and don't do well, and yep. just having a stout defense that is able to hold them to nine points. Like you go look at their scores from the whole season, that's it's like it's impossible. You're like, mm-hmm. there's no way you're gonna hold this team to nine points. And it, it's the key to the game here. So I was on a bus trip back uh, with the Edinburgh football team one time. This is when Mike Yersich was offensive coordinator. And, like, I'll keep this quick, but, like, I just remember Yersich yelling at me uh, from his seat a row in front of mine on the bus, basically saying that football's all about matchups. It's only one-on-one matchups. And I don't think Mercyhurst had been able to or had seen a team all year that could match up with them one-on-one 11 times, like, across the board. Well, Farrell was able to do that. And you see 16-9, like, Mercyhurst stacked up with Farrell pretty well too um but yeah in a, in a game that boy Farrell just won a couple more of those one-on-one matchups it was a heck of a football game those are two really good football teams yeah you and I I mean we've seen these matchups plenty of times yes. I think Mercier's prep you know they held them very low scoring very low yeah scoring. 16 points by Farrell that's not a slouch effort I mean if you told me going into that game on Saturday morning hey we're gonna hold Farrell to 16 today I'd feel pretty good about my team's chances uh, winning that game yeah. especially going in scoring 60 plus hey okay they're gonna hold us to 45 you know what I mean um, so an incredible effort, really defensively. It, 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 if you would have told me like 49, 42, yeah. I would have said, yeah, that's about right. Flip and, the scores uh, between this and the McDowell yep, game and nobody exactly. questions it. Right? And nobody questions yeah. it. Um, that is the is best showing an Erie County team has seen with a Mercer County team. And as long as I can remember. Tr- uh, true. So especially at the double A level. Yep. 
Well, <clears throat> speaking of Erie County versus Mercer County, let's head over to Cambridge Springs. They bring back the D10 title to Erie County, defeating Lakeview 32-29. Yeah, for the first time since Mercyhurst Prep did it in 2007, the District 10 Single-A Championship trophy will reside outside of Mercer County as the Cambridge Springs Blue Devils topple the number one seeded Lakeview Sailors. And guys, this was a slugfest. Five total first-half possessions, two touchdowns apiece. Uh, Blue Devils hold a slim lead at the half because they go two-point conversions. And this is where it gets fun. Lakeview, t- third-quarter advantage on uh, on the back of Mitchell Tingley's third touchdown of the night. And that's when things got really fun. Do you guys remember in that movie, The Waterboy with Adam Sandler? They're in the Bourbon Bowl, and Dan <laughs> Fout says to Brent Musburger, last game of the season, can't hold anything back now. <laughs> well... Cambridge Springs coach Nate Liberty really took that scene to heart because on the ensuing drive, the Blue Devils called not one, but two double passes. The first converted a long third down, and then the second, very shortly thereafter, went for a 13-yard score that put the Blue Devils back on top where they remained uh, following a pair of Lakeview turnovers with the game on the line. Wanted to shout out Josh and Preston Gorton, a pair of Cambridge seniors. Deserve mentioning as they made plays all night long on both sides of the ball for the Blue Devils. Uh, who will take on Red Bank Valley this weekend in the PIAA single-A playoffs. It's funny how you look at these three games back-to-back, right? You have McDowell going into State College, something to prove, chip on their shoulder, multiple chips come out on top. Mercyhurst Prep and Farrell, strong defensive matchup. Neither team, you know, deserve to lose that game. Defense wins championships in that game. Yeah. And then here, it's, it's like a boxing match, right? It's just like... Punch and counterpunch. Who's going to win? Who's going to get the most points in the last round, right? And it just comes down to that last moment, like you were saying, 32-29 to bring it back. What's this mean? You guys covered a lot of games. What's this mean for that title to come back to Erie County? Because we talked about it, Mercyhurst versus yeah. Farrell as well. What's that mean for a title like this to come back to Erie County? Well, I think it's something, Rich, it's a topic that comes up every year. Will this be the year that Erie County or Crawford County takes a championship away from Mercer County? And like year after year, nope, not in this year. The <laughs> so. last time I remember it was that year that uh, GM went, to states and and took i mean that's really it doesn't happen all that often that's, so that's true and you, that, you mercy, gotta have the right kind of team to make that happen mercyhurst 2007 i i, I think that Did was they? a year after i graduated okay. high school yeah. so like I, w- I was even away for that one so like my entire post high school life it hasn't happened 2007 <laughs> was the last time in in single a right that a district 10 team a, a team has won the championship first time Cambridge Springs has won it since their first D10 title in 1996. So a lot to be Nearly 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Incredible game. Incredible win for Cambridge Springs. uh, Avenging a regular season loss to Lakeview. And like I said, they're going to get another shot next weekend. Yep. Before we take a break, I do want to mention Cathedral Prep men's soccer team. Boys soccer team wins state championships 3-2 over Springfield. Prep rallied not once but twice in a nail-biting double overtime clash to claim the first outright boys soccer state championship in the school's history, again, beating Springfield 3-2. Yeah, shout out Dylan Danch. What a game for that guy. Yeah, and, you know, great article in uh, in the Times, GoEerie.com from, I believe it was Risenweber wrote this one about uh, – Dylan Danch in his family history mm-hmm. with Cathedral Prep Soccer. That's just a really cool one as well. Um, quote from Coach in that article. I really love this quote from Coach Tjaga where he says, quote, the team has plenty of grit. And after a while, you think, is this destiny? 
What a run. I think it's a historic group, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I hope Rambler Nation is proud of them. End quote. So congratulations, Cathedral Prep Boys Men's Soccer, on that state championship. There you go, guys. That was the North Shore Rewind brought to you by Duskus Funeral Home. When we get back, we'll head over to the campus corner. You're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk brought to you by Quickville. Hey, I'm Mike Fenner from Jet 24, Fox 66 Sports, and you're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk. Welcome back to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickville. We had an amazing North Shore Rewind. If you missed any of that or if you missed any show in the past, I want to remind you, head back over to your favorite podcast app and just look for Flagship City Sports Talk. Up next, Gannon's men basketball breaking more records. Women's volleyball repeats as PSAC champion. And Edinburgh's Kylie Anitzik earns an All-American honor. Let's cross the quad to the campus corner. All right, up first, Gannon's women's volleyball team repeats as the PSAC championship going back to back for the first time in program history. Yeah, making some history uh, in a dramatic match against rival Clarion. The Golden Knights showcased skill and resilience, securing the title in five sets with scores of 25-21, 17-25, 25-19, 24-26, and 15-10. Despite that setback in the fourth set, Gannon bounced back, claiming the victory. Coach Matt Darling expressed excitement, highlighting the team's ability to overcome challenges. Junior outside hitter Journey Blevins earned PSAC Tournament MVP with a standout 27-kill performance. Gannon's 26-4 record secured a spot in the NCAA Tournament for the 14th consecutive time. Team is poised to potentially host uh, the NCAA Division II Atlantic Regional. I love this quote by senior Captain Maddie Blake reflecting on the win. She says, quote, As a senior, you really can't ask for anything more. This is just the perfect wrap-up of my time here and a perfect example of how hard we can fight, end quote. And I just love quotes like that because that's what I think is what makes college athletics so special. It showcases like, team. 100%. It's just that short bit of time where you're working as a team and, and just powering through these really cool moments. Love it. Can't wait to see how they do in the uh, Atlantic Regional. Yep. Heading over to men's soccer. Gannon upsets Millersville 2-1 in the Super Region 1 second round. Seeded 6, Gannon pulls off a stunning upset against the third seeded Millersville in the second round of the NCAA Division 2 Super Region Tournament with a final score of two to one, the Golden Knights showcased a defensive performance, securing their place in the next round with a 17-1 and two record. I know they look at that one, they look at that loss, and it just <laughs> drives them insane, given how much of a great year they had. Gannon's head coach Billy Colton's squad, known for its high-powered attack, faced off against Millersville, which held a tie for the PSAC lead in fewest goals, allowing 15. So they're not able to score. What was that one game they scored like 50 goals or something like that? I think it was like eight, <laughs> but like yeah, that was close. You know, but holding. <laughs> them to two is a big deal. They're a tough offensive team. Despite Millersville's efforts with a 13-7 advantage in shots, Gannon's defense along with Alarcon's stellar goalkeeping held strong to secure the victory. Alarcon, by the way, was a PSAC West first team selection at goaltender. With 17 wins this season, the Golden Knights tie for the fourth highest season total in program history. They face off against Charleston, West Virginia in the next round of the tournament on November 30th. Men weren't the only one. Women's soccer team advances to the Sweet 16 
after up to setting the undefeated number one seeded Charleston in the Atlantic region. In this huge upset, they defeat top seeded Charleston three to one and advance to the semifinals. Logan Nicholas and Brooklyn Respecki showed out with Nicholas scoring twice and Respecki adding another. Gannon's defense held strong, but it was enough to hold back a tough Charleston defense. Gannon's goals are a testament to their offensive prowess with Respecki stealing a pass and assisting Nicholas for the open goal. Then Respecki extends the lead to two and oh with a skillful left footed shot. I just can't like fathom shooting left footed, like being right handed my whole life. I try to like coordinate <laughs> that and I have tried to coordinate that. Yeah, I can't do it. Not as much. Now boasting a 17-4-2 overall record, Gannon looks ahead to the Sweet 16 where they'll face Westchester for the Atlantic Regional title. Westchester defeated Gannon 2-1 earlier this year in the PSAC Championship. So I love me a revenge game narrative. Love it. And something in the water, some secret sauce in Gannon's (laughs) soccer programs. I like it. I like it. Men's basketball, Gannon once again sets the game record for points in the home opener. Nope, this isn't isn't last week's episode. We talked about it last week. And they come back and do it again again. Against Penn State Dubois. Yeah, a lot of Gannon news today. The men's basketball team, led by first-year head coach Jordan Fee, remains undefeated at 3-0 after a dominant, uh, and that's an understatement, 146-70 victory over Penn State Dubois, or Dubois, depending on where you're from. <laughs> Fee's fast-paced, full-court pressing style set a school record for points in a game for the second time in three outings. All 14 players contributed points, with seven landing in double figures. The Golden Knights shot a season-high 62.6%, breaking records for field goals made and attempted. Uh, Zachary Hobbs led with 18 points while Gannon out-rebounded and outscored Penn State Dubois significantly. The team is off until the Gary Miller Classic on November 24th and 25th. This is how fast a team can turn over, right? I think the men's basketball team last year, if I remember correctly, only won three games last year. Like, it was a rough year last year for the men's team. It was a down year. I think they won more than three games. I I, I gotta check myself on that. I didn't think they were that down. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they they have a, a lot of roster turnover. Obviously, we said the new coach and the thing that, and I mean, this is just as a scarred sports fan, you score 140 and 146 in two of your first three games. When you get into PSAC play yeah. and you win, or I don't know, you're just competitive and it's like, you know, 82 to 78, doesn't it kind of feel like a letdown? Oh, absolutely. Like, they're just setting themselves, I, I, I don't know, they they are doing what they need to do to the opponents on the schedule, and that as a coach, you can only control who you're playing right now. So, yep. like, congratulations to them. I just hope they keep it up for the PSAC in-season play, because that would be incredible. Oh yeah. And by the way, it was. They were 3 and 23 last year. Yeah. See? There you go. 3 and 23 in, you know, losing games 80 to 54. 78 to 65. Like, yeah, those are PSAC scores. <laughs> they're doubling their score per game. Like, Coach Fee and this and this full court press is just, it's working. Are they using, like, what is that, hydrogen in the basketball so it can travel <laughs> farther? I don't know. Whatever, whatever you're doing, as long as it's legal, keep it up over at Gannon. All right, heading over to Edinburgh. Kylie Anitzik earns All American honors at the NCAA championship meet. Senior runner Kylie Anitzik wrapped up her collegiate cross country career, securing first team All American honors with a stellar 12th place finish at the NCAA championship meet in Jotland, Missouri. Quote, Kylie says, it felt really good to have everything come together today. It's been a journey overcoming adversity from starting out playing soccer, going through transfers and coaching changes. It felt great to have it all come together today. This achievement makes Anitzik the 10th fighting Scott to earn multiple cross country all American honors. Following up her second team honor from the previous year, her finish is the best at the NCAA championship meet since Rachel Lanzel secured fourth place in two 2006. Congratulations, Kylie. Wrapping up the campus corner, we closing out the football season. We have some 2023 PSAC football all-conference teams being announced last week. 
Yeah, uh, 2023 P- uh, PSAC Football Awards. Kutztown University dominates. Nick, I just wanted to read off the name, yep. position, and school. So this is f- offensive first team uh, for our area teams. Uh, offensive lineman Jacob Pettit of Gannon and place kicker Eric Scarpino, also of Gannon. Surprise first team, there. Yeah, no surprise. Doesn't miss a kick all season. What else can you do? <laughs> first team, uh, and they list that as offense. So there's yeah. no special team. So first team offense. First team defense. Defensive lineman Obi Zigbo from Gannon, also defensive lineman. R.J. Tillman of Mercyhurst, linebacker C.J. Waldier of Edinburgh, defensive back Chris Farnsworth of Gannon, and punter Reed Martin of Edinburgh. And then over to the second team on offense, running back Jalen Batera of Mercyhurst, also running back Dustin Schof of Mercyhurst, and a trio of running backs in our area as Donnie Marcus of Gannon, uh, another second team offensive player. Offensive tackle Riley Noble and offensive center Montana Neetert, both of Gannon, and tight end Aaron Hopkins of Edinburgh. And finally, second team defense from our area. Defensive lineman Joe Lasso of Gannon and Camden White of Mercyhurst. Also linebacker Tyler Booterbaugh. Is that Butterbaugh or Booterbaugh of Mercyhurst? And defensive backs Toby Klein of Edinburgh and Cam Snell of Gannon. 2023 PSAC All-Conference first and second teamers. Congratulations. The best of the best. All right, we got to take a break. When we get back, we'll hop into the flagship feature. You're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickfill. Erie, welcome back to this week's episode of Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickville. I'm excited for another flagship feature interview. This week, we have Jason Shukaluk, Akron soccer player and McDowell alum, joining us here today. Jason, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm doing very good. Thank you guys so much for having me on this. I really appreciate it. So uh, everything's going well with me. Good, good. No, you're welcome. And thank you. Like I said, we got to talk a little bit before we, we went on air and we were just talking about our goal is just to tell these kind of stories, you know, just kind of you, like we talked about. And we'll get into this. You you played at McDowell. You're over at Akron. You got some amazing things going on. So we just want to, you know, raise up those Erie County stories. So this is going to be a fun one. So with that, yeah, for I, sure. I always start the, these interviews with the same question. What's your origin story, man? What you how'd you get? How'd you get to where you are? Where are you from? What'd you like to do when you were in Erie? And then. You know, how'd you get to Akron and where do you want to be after that? Yeah, so I was born in Strongsville, Ohio, and I kind of just grew up playing soccer there. And at first, you know, it was kind of just a thing that I would do for fun and I would just enjoy being a young kid running around playing. And then we ended up moving to Erie, Pennsylvania when I was about six years old. So I got the chance to kind of get into a more structured soccer system there with the Erie Admirals at the time. Mm-hmm. And my dad was the, he kind of was the root behind everything. He helped me, like my passion grow for the game and everything. And I, he would always tell stories about how he would come home from a long day of work, working all day. And I'd be sitting there with my soccer ball in my hands, asking him, begging him to come into the basement with me and just practice a little more and do little things so um that's kind of how it all started i just ended up having a passion for the game that grew more and more every day and i just had too many questions i wish my questions were in school but they were (laughs) related towards that game and so i yeah that's kind of just how the the structure of my career was built just on really loving and enjoying the game and from there i grew up playing in erie and I ended up doing some traveling with the Cleveland Internationals, and then I ended up playing for them in the Development Academy program, and I 
from there, I got recruited to go to Akron. So then I I went there and I, I had a pretty couple good years. So it's been <laughs> really so. exciting. Well, yeah, and recruited as the 12th best forward in the class of 2020, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So it's all exciting stuff and it's been a it's been a super super journey with a lot of highs and lows that uh, great learning curves and also just just a great support system around me with my mom, my dad, my aunt, all of my all of my family's just been so great for me. So That's awesome. It's been uh it's been great. All right, here's so here's the rundown. 60 career games, 42 starts, 28 goals, adding 18 assists. Uh, selected as the 2023 Big East Conference Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Year, also a unanimous first team All Big East honoree. Shookalook ranks first in the Big East in goals, points, and shots per game. Also leads the league in total goals, shots, and points. And here's the highlight: first in the NCAA in total points with 33. So first off, congrats. Congratulations on leading the nation in scoring, a remarkable achievement. Can you share with us what that means to you personally? Yeah, it means so much. You know, it's really exciting for like everyone who supports me to kind of have see those achievements because they know how much hard work it goes into it. I think you don't really know how much hard work it goes into it until you really do it. And yeah, just just uh, it means so much to me. And I know a lot of my teammates, my coaches and my family, just because of how hard everyone's pushed me, how how much hard work has been put into doing these things, the discipline that it takes to wake up and keep doing them day in and day out especially when you don't want to do them yeah and um, the gratification of all that hard work paying off right yeah I'm, uh, I'm extremely grateful for all of that so it's been like I said like it's a journey of highs and lows like there's been during this season there's been times where I'm not scoring in games or I'm struggling to touch the ball whatever it is you know and like the next game like I go and I score two goals so it, it, that's kind of just how it goes and like I've just been uh I've been able to really enjoy all the highs and the lows of this journey yeah so it's- and I I think that helps out a lot, and I'm just really grateful to win those awards. Yeah, so so the scoring is obviously crucial, um, but as you mentioned, soccer, you know, a team sport, a team sport. How does that mm-hmm. teamwork and coordination play a role in your success? You know, as a goal scorer, um, is is there a memorable moment that stands out for you from this season? Yeah, I uh, I I always say this, and I like I have to give a big thanks to my teammates because. A massive part of it is I can't score those goals if they're not feeding me the ball, you know, and they're not they're not helping me get in those good positions. So I think a massive part of it is just like day in and day out, my teammates pushing me to become better, my teammates just always wanting me to become better. They're always doing everything that they can and same goes for me. I'm always pushing them to try and reach new levels. So yeah, I, I would say like a big part of what happens is the team aspect and I think that's a very very important part like I said like none of this could have happened without my team so I'm really grateful for them and um yeah I I would say just a big big part of all of this is my is the success of my team and how how hard they have worked and how well how good of players that they are. You, you keep mentioning team. Your your coach has to be so happy to hear you say team, team, team all over again, not me, 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 which may not be something you expect from, you know, 
the nation's leading scorer. You, you might think that that guy's uh, a little bit about himself, but that's, that's awesome to hear. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, so being a college athlete, obviously balancing uh, athletics as well as academics, how do you manage your time effectively to excel both on and off the field? And then do you have any advice for maybe student athletes who might be listening? Yeah, uh, the balance of it all, I think, is such an important thing because if you're more organized off the field, then I think that more success comes on the field. So I think a massive part of me was just finding balance in between both schoolwork and soccer because it's so easy to get wrapped up in all of the soccer stuff that's going on and the achievements and this and the goals and then you lose a game and then you're super upset and then you don't want to do schoolwork. So a massive part of it was just kind of finding that balance in between uh, both things and I would just say it's so important. Any advice that I would give for uh, younger people is when you go to college and you're, you're going to college play a sport you kind of are so focused on that sport but at the same time you need, I think it's important to realize that there there has to be a balance within your life and um, you have to enjoy all of that time because um, before you know it it's going to be all gone and you're going to be looking back on it and you don't want to say I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that and just enjoy every single moment because it's all a uh, it's all super special, and I don't know if it's sometimes it's hard to realize that when you're in the middle of the storm, you know. So looking looking back there for a second, what would you say to little Jason Shukaluk sitting in McDowell High School, you know, five years ago? What would you say to that that kid sitting in class? I would tell him to be super be super disciplined in everything that you're doing. Have um, just have that focus when when the time comes and to you know to work to really work on yourself to become a become a young man and to focus on the things that are important for your future you know because i think in high school it's so easy to be caught up in oh i'm i'm at this high school or that high school and my life's like this now but when you go to college, it's uh, everything kind of flips upside down, and you're not the best athlete there anymore. There's 40 other guys on your team that are just like that have the same, st- you know, yeah. all of that stuff. So I would say just to stay stay super disciplined, keep doing all of the right things all of the time, and everything will fall into place. No, I love that. Thanks. That's great advice, man. And and again, we appreciate your time. I mean, the nation's leading goal scorer, folks. I mean, this this guy's got things to do. He's a disciplined guy. He's <laughs> he's supposed to be practicing right now. Uh, so we appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. All right, I got one more uh, a softball for you. So as we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Perhaps a message for your teammates or your coaches or the fans who have supported you throughout this incredible season and incredible life's journey through soccer. Yeah, first, uh, I would really just want to thank my Akron coaches, but not only them, um, just every single coach who I've came across on this journey because of I've, I've been able to take just little things away from each guy that has coached me on this journey, and sometimes I've taken big things away that have changed my journey totally. So I really just wanted to thank those guys. And then um, I want to thank my teammates, every teammate I've came across on this journey, like I said, with, with my coaches, they've had just a little, uh, 
little things that I could learn from every single one of them. And lastly, I just really wanted to thank my family, my mom, my dad, my brother, my aunt, all my aunts, my grandpa for coming to every game, being the first guy in the stands at every game that I've ever had. So it's amazing. Um, it's cool. Yeah, I, I really just wanted to to thank everyone along this journey that's been with me, and I'm so grateful to have them all along with me, and I'll I'll never take it for granted. No, man, I love the humbleness coming from the Big East Offensive Player of the Year. Um, we're excited for you. Thank you for coming and hanging out with us today. We got to cut you off. We got to take a break. But seriously, man, you got a lot going on. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Jason. Of course. Thank you, guys. Yep. Erie, before we take our next break, I want to take a second and thank all of our sponsors, Quickfill, Duskus Funeral Home, Circo Industrial Supply, John's Wildwood Pizza, Denny's Sale and Service Center, Dauber Auto Supply, and Awesome Painting and Services. Without them, we wouldn't be here for you. When we get back, we're going to hit the Rust Belt Rundown. You're listening to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickfill. Welcome back to Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickville. A lot happening in the NFL across the Rust Belt. First off, well, the Browns, they didn't Brown. The Steelers <laughs> cannot win without an offense, and the Bills get right. All this and more in today's Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Circo Industrial Supply. All right, Buffalo takes care of the Jets 32-6 after a tough week. Bills quarterback Josh Allen bounced back with a stellar performance, throwing three touchdown passes and injecting much-needed energy into the offense. Yep, 32-6 route of the Jets. You mentioned the three touchdowns. Also broke a franchise record with a touchdown in 19 consecutive games. Uh, the Bills sna snapped that two-game skid, scoring over 25 points for the first time in seven weeks. Of course, Jets quarterback Zach Wilson got benched. Coach Robert Sala hinted at a potential quarterback switch. Uh, the Bills offense then surged following the firing of coordinator Ken Dorsey with new coordinator Joe Brady, who was a coordinator of that 2019 LSU super team. Uh, yeah. A post-game fisticuffs in the tunnel reflected the charged atmosphere of that game. Uh, as for the Jets, now at 4-6, and six, they scored their first touchdown in three weeks. That offense is abysmal. For one, That's the Jets offense. The Jets yes. offense. That's the radio friendly version. Yeah, and actually, just as you were talking, they just announced Tim Boyle will start as quarterback on Friday. I don't wow. know if that's an upgrade or a downgrade, but we'll find out. Can't get much worse, that's for sure. That's true. But, <laughs> but Alan, you know, this is a get-right week for him. Not a lot to talk about in this game. Uh, the offense looked great against a really, really good Jets defense. They've been one of the top. very good, yes. Yeah, one of the top defenses in the league. But, you know, Alan comes out. And, and maybe it's a little bit of a revenge game narrative, not because of, of the Jets, but because of, you know, that Ken Dorsey was let go last week in in. Ken Dorsey was kind of his guy. He he was the one that kind of went to McDermott and said, hey, I, we need to make this guy the offensive coordinator. He was his quarterback coach before that. Yep. So maybe there's a little chip on his shoulder there, you know. Brady did a great job. I don't know if it was him or, you know, when the when the Bills are on, they're on. But whatever happened, it worked. The key to success in the NFL is apparently just firing a coach midseason yeah. because that <laughs> Steelers <laughs> take note. I was going to say, like, <laughs> maybe we'll talk maybe. about that in a minute. Know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And and the, we've been talking a lot about their defense and we we um, the all the injuries that have been coming through the Bills defense and 
they look good. I mean, again, the, 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 Jets, the Jets offense Jets is offense. not good. Yeah. But going out and getting a guy like Razul Douglas from the Packers in this game, he had two two interceptions and a fumble recovery. I mean, a it's guy not, playing a couple games in after just being traded to the I was team. Say, not bad. Uh, not a bad way to ingratiate yourself to a fan base. Nope. Nope. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, I still have hope for the Bills making the playoffs. I mean, the Jets are looking more and more like they're out of it. The Patriots are tanking. Yeah. Uh, I still think the Dolphins win the division, but Buffalo's has a shot if they can turn it around. Listen, they they play like Hall of Famers against the Dolphins every year, so don't yeah. count them out yet. <laughs> All right, jumping over to Cleveland. Man, I have so much I want to say about this game. <laughs> Cleveland 13, Pittsburgh 10. You know, I alluded to it in the intro. The, the Browns didn't Brown. I mean, even watching this game, to watch them win with, with a field goal at two seconds on the clock, even being pessimistic about Pittsburgh this year, I'm watching this game going, they're going to miss the kick. <laughs> they're going to fumble the ball. Something's going to happen gonna because happen. it happens all the time. A good friend of mine is a, is a Browns fan, and he says that all the time, where it's like, it doesn't matter. Until that clock hits zero, there is no winning a game for the Browns. But they did great. not only did you like expect the Browns to Brown, right? You also expected the Steelers, despite playing terrible, right. for that defense to just come up with something late game and like, oh, we got outgained 10 weeks in a row now, <laughs> but we're still going to come out with the win. <laughs> and wh- I think the difference in this is that the defense didn't win the game for them. Well, that's 100% the difference, right? right? They've been winning games like this all year. They're 6-3 and three and, and should still, absolutely not be 6-3. and three. They held the opponent to 13 points. Right, right. But there's not a lot going on. You know, Watt was pretty much quiet. He had one sack and two tackles for a loss, three QB hits. But outside of that, I mean, the defense was was bending and bending and bending. Maybe never broke, but... Just allowing Dorian Thompson Robinson to do just enough to do just enough. Yep. So this is what we've been talking about with Pittsburgh over the last couple of weeks is they they cannot keep winning games like this. Defenses in today's NFL defenses don't win championships. Right. You had the the when did what was what was the Ravens Super Bowl win with Trent Dilfer? Like, yeah, in 05, 07, 2000, something mm-hmm. like that. I don't see that happening. I mean. Well, let me well, flip that at script the, a little bit. Because there's a level of defensive difference there, too. I 100%. Mean, that, that defense had like three or four Hall of Famers on it. <laughs> yeah, no no doubt. And Cleveland, don't get me wrong, Cleveland's defense is playing to that level. And if DTR can hold them in, you know, yes. they signed Flacco. I'm not saying Flacco's coming back. Oh, but, yikes. I mean, in terms of like a mentor <laughs> in the room for a DTR, like the, I, there is a recipe there where I still think Cleveland... I was going to say wins the division, but Baltimore just looks so good right now. Uh, I get, we did our predictions a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I think we should come back to it in a couple of weeks and, yeah. and, and revisit that. But yeah, I think the Ravens are the best team in the division. That's not to say that the Browns aren't a good team, right? but I think the Ravens are better. I think, you know, most of us in this room would agree with that. Yeah. Um, but for the time being, yeah, Cleveland's defense has been very special um, and the offense needs to give them just enough, which is kind of the same exact situation the Pittsburgh Steelers are in. The defense has been pretty special. The offense just needs to give you just enough and they haven't been able to manage to do that with their starting quarterback whereas the browns have tried to do it or managed to do it with like three or four different guys yeah so that's kind of the difference right now and the the word i wrote down for uh, dorian thompson robinson was resilience yeah um he did not have a great game overall if he watched it you know play by play 24 of 43 for a buck 65 and a turnover yeah i mean he's not lighting the set no you know on any level of football but he kind of kept coming back and he made the the right plays when he needed to make the plays yep. specifically the last drive of the game gets you into just enough field goal range and then of course Pittsburgh was that a uh, uh, 
uh, they were somebody was offsides, gave him an extra free yards, yeah. <laughs> to, you know, to, just to make make sure the kick was a little bit easier. Went from a fifty-one yarder to a forty-six yarder. Yep. I mean. And it was an emotional. I mean, I love seeing the shot of DTR on the sideline emotionally wiping away tears, yeah. joy, tears of joy. I mean, I can't I mean, imagine. good for him. Right. A, a team that, you know, has been – the Browns have been losing to the Steelers so many, so many years. I mean, to, to be the winning quarterback on that side had to be pretty special. Did you see then, too, that Miles Garrett went to a Cavs game last night? Like no. right after no. the game in Cleveland, no. and he got a huge standing <laughs> ovation from the Cavs speaking, fans. Speaking, speaking of of, uh, of Garrett, did you see on the Kenny Pickett quarterback sneak his helmet came off? Yes. And did you see Garrett pick up the helmet? No. So Garrett picks up the helmet. Shades of Mason Rudolph yeah, from a couple years say, ago. Uh-oh. It's re- go back and find it on Twitter. It's all over the place. All of a sudden, a couple offensive linemen jump up and get in front of Garrett. Like whoa, 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 whoa. Give, give me that. Give me a hand. And Garrett throws his hands up. Like whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not, I'm not doing anything with it. But it was super funny. Given, I mean, not what happened. That wasn't funny. But you know, the, yeah. they reacted what, that. What way. is comedy? Tragedy plus time. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. Well, speaking of tragedy, I'm out on Kenny Pickett. I can't do this anymore. And and this is great. This is this perfectly sums up how I feel about Pickett. Jarrett Bailey, friend of the show. You can follow him at J Bailey NFL on X posted this comparison side by side. Kenny Pickett threw 10 games this year, 172.2 yards per game, six touchdowns and four interceptions. Mason Rudolph in 2019, 10 games, 176.5 yards per game, about the same. 13 touchdowns, double Pickett's touchdowns, and nine interceptions. I'm not saying we need to go to Mason Rudolph, but if you said to any Pittsburgh fan right now, hey, we should start Mason Rudolph, they'd laugh you out of town. He's playing better. He had played better than Pickett. Like, I'm not, I don't know. Twice the touchdowns and twice the interceptions. Yeah. That's, That's a gunslinger. Yeah. And at least right now, Pittsburgh is looking for something, anything explosive. Mason Rudolph, he's going to throw more picks, yeah. but he might, you know, fit one in down the field, too. Yep. I think you need a spark and not Rudolph. But I mean, at this point, <laughs> you you cannot. Why not send it to Trubisky? I know you're trying to work through this pick of things, but if you're trying to actually make a run at the playoffs, throw it to Trubisky. See what happens. Or. If you start to lose and you fall out of the playoff race, let Pickett let Pickett ride it out and see what happens. I don't know. I, this offense just needs needs something. Real quick, here's Najee Harris at the end of the game, just talking about the offensive struggles. Take a listen to this. There's just a lot of stuff that just goes around that just it's just it's just that you guys don't see. Um, that's what I'm saying. It's just I'm just at a point where it was just like man, I'm just, I'm just tired. Of the Is it intangible? Yeah, he's tired of it, right? I mean, we all are. I mean, everybody that's watching these games, they're so when I when I hear that quote that he's tired of it, there's things going on behind the scene that almost gives me the feeling that that Pickett's lost the locker room. So I'm a little nervous about the Steelers moving forward. We'll see. Like you said, I think it's a good idea to come back in a couple weeks and look at those those standings predictions and, and see where we are. But uh, it's not looking good in Pittsburgh right now. Well, that's it, Erie. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Nick Artman. That's it. We're done. I'm signing off for Paul Adamsack and Rich Smith. Don't forget to follow along at FC Sports Talk or just find us anywhere you get your podcast. That's it. We're done. Erie, have some fun. <laughs>